Okay, brothers and sisters, it's time for us to open our Bibles to 1 Corinthians, if you will, with me. 1 Corinthians chapter 14. If you do not have a Bible, I'd encourage you to grab one on the pew in front of you and use it. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, 14, starting in verse 33. As you, will turn, as you turn in there, uh, let me pray for us. And I ask you to pray with me silently as I pray aloud. God, as we come to your word, we ask that you would help us to receive it with humble and open hearts. God, help us to trust you. Help us to trust your ways and your will. Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now today's topic is women in the church. Some of you might be thinking, here's a man telling women what they should and should not do. We've got men telling women what they can and can't do with their bodies. Now men are telling women what they can and can't do in the church. Is this just a culture of suppression and abusive patriarchy? I can understand how some people would feel like that. I can But the question is not, what do I think, or what do I feel? The question is not, what do any of us think or feel? The question is, what has God said? Now, if I do my job right, not just this week, but any week from the pulpit here, you should be hearing from God and not from me, if I do my job right. The nice thing about that is, I don't have to apologize for God. God's going to be fine. I don't have to protect God from anybody's opinion of Him. But the other nice thing about that is, we know that God's Word and God's ways are always perfect. Everything He says and does is for His glory and our good. And in every area of life, not just this one, but every area of life, we trust that God's ways will always be better for us and make us happier than our own ways. From the very beginning, Adam and Eve, the Garden of Eden, sin came into the world when human beings failed to trust that God's ways were better than their own. That God's ways were better than them insisting on their own ways. And so in light of that, with that heart disposition, we come to our text this morning, 1 Corinthians 14, starting in verse 33. This is God's word through the Apostle Paul. It says, For God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. As in all the churches of the saints, the women should be kept silent in the churches. For they are not permitted to speak, but should be in submission, as the law also says. If there is anything they desire to learn, let them ask their husbands at home. For it is shameful for a woman to speak in church. Or was it from you that the word of God came? Or are you the only ones it has reached? If anyone thinks that he is a prophet or spiritual, he should acknowledge that the things I am writing to you are a command of the Lord. If anyone does not recognize this, he is not recognized. This is a tough text this morning, but it's part of the text. We're preaching through the book of 1 Corinthians, and this is the next text. One of the things that Paul talks about here when it comes to the specific directions that he's giving to the Corinthians. Remember, he's writing this letter to a church 
in Corinth full of believers. In verses 34 and 35 specifically, he's speaking of silence and submission as it pertains to women. Now, as I read this text, my first question is always this. Is this essentially a gag order on women? Like once you walk inside the doors of this sanctuary, you're supposed to zip it. No sound coming out of your mouth. Is that what Paul means? Well, no, that's not what he means. That can't be what he means. And we know that for a couple reasons. First, Paul clearly teaches in multiple places in the New Testament that we are all, both men and women, supposed to sing while we are gathered together, right? We're supposed to sing. There's noises coming out of our mouth. Hopefully, they're musical notes coming out of our mouth, right? But we're supposed to sing to the Lord, both men and women, when we come together as a body of Christ. But second, apparently, women could prophesy according to this same Apostle Paul. Listen to 1 Corinthians 11, just three chapters earlier, starting in verse 4. It says, Every man who prays or prophesies with his head covered dishonors his head, but every wife who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered, dishonors her head, since it is the same as if her head were shaven. Now, this is the same author, the same book even, the same letter that he's writing. And in chapter 11, he said women were prophesying, and he did not denounce that. And so, this can't mean silence altogether. This can't mean a complete prohibition on anything coming out of the mouth of women during church. So, what does it mean? What is this silence? What is Paul forbidding here? I believe the simplest and best explanation is that Paul is forbidding women from preaching, teaching with men in the audience, and weighing prophecies. Preaching, teaching with men in the audience, and weighing prophecies. Now, I'll cover preaching and teaching here in just a moment, but first I want to look at that third one, weighing prophecies. In our text, in chapter 14, look back at verse 29 with me, if you will. 29, where Paul writes... Let two or three prophets speak, and let the others weigh what is said. Now, what's going on there? Well, back in Paul's day, in a church service like this, someone might stand up and say, they have a word from the Lord. They're a prophet. Apparently, they have the spiritual gift of prophecy. They've got a word from the Lord, and they would proclaim it to the congregation. But after that, then others would stand up and weigh what was said. Why? Well, because just because someone stands up and says they're a prophet doesn't mean they actually are, right? Just because someone stood up and says they have a word from the Lord doesn't mean it actually was a word from the Lord. So they have to analyze it. They have to weigh what was said. They have to think about, okay, does that line up with the other words from the Lord that we have? They had the Old Testament scriptures back then. Can we know that this is a word from the Lord or perhaps it isn't a word from the Lord? And inevitably, this would lead to teaching. As someone would stand up and someone would say, this word that this person has just brought to us, it is a word from the Lord and we know that because such and such. Or, on the flip side, they could say, this word that you have just heard is not a genuine word from the Lord and we know that because such and such. So it would inevitably be a teaching moment, a teaching moment where they're teaching the congregation while they are weighing the prophecies. This is one of the reasons why Paul forbids this in the form of women weighing prophecies. But notice verses 34 and 35. It's not just silence he speaks of, it's silence also with submission. Verse 34, women should keep silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak, but should be in submission. Now what's that mean? We'll go on to verse 35. If there is anything they desire to learn, let them ask their husbands at home. 
When Paul speaks of submission here, he's talking about submission to husbands, wives submitting to husbands. Now, Paul and the other New Testament writers speak of this a number of places in the New Testament. The biblical pattern of wives submitting to husbands and husbands sacrificially leading their wives in their marriage. Probably the most well-known of these passages comes in Ephesians 5, starting verse 22, where Paul says, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Now if you go home today and you go on reading in Ephesians 5, you will see that Paul gives an even greater and harder charge to men in marriage relationships. The husband has a harder charge than the wife does. You can go study that afterward. But we know from places like that, from the entire scope of the New Testament, and then here in 1 Corinthians 14, that Paul is speaking to submission of wives to husbands. And a woman could not be submitting to her husband while publicly critiquing or correcting his words to the church. A woman could not be in submission to her husband while publicly critiquing or correcting his words to the church, nor could she do so while critiquing or correcting the words of another man who was not her husband. And so Paul forbids women from the weighing of prophecies here. You might say, okay, John, that's all well and good, but since we don't prophesy today like they did back then, this text can just be thrown out. This doesn't apply to us anymore, right? We don't have to listen to it. We don't have to heed it because we don't prophesy like they did back then. So this text doesn't apply. Well, no, we can't do that, and here's why. When Paul speaks of women being silent here, he's not just talking about the weighing of prophecy. He's also talking about preaching and teaching. And we know this because of other places in the New Testament, like Paul's words in 1 Timothy 2. Now, what I'm going to ask you to do is I'm going to ask you to turn with me to 1 Timothy 2 while keeping a marker in 1 Corinthians 14. So maybe it's a piece of paper or a bookmark or something, but keep 1 Corinthians 14 marked and turn with me forward in your New Testaments to 1 Timothy chapter 2. Somebody's got their ESV audio Bible going there. I can hear it. It'll read it for you. I can, I can just defer to that one. 1 Timothy. Now, if you go to Hebrews, you've gone too far. If you go to 1 and 2 Thessalonians, perhaps, it's right after that. 1 Timothy Chapter 2, starting in verse 11. 1 Timothy 2, 11. I'll give you just a moment. Because I want everybody to see this. 1 Timothy 2, starting in verse 11, Paul writes, Let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. For Adam was formed first, then Eve, and Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. Okay, so what is going on in this passage? What specifically is Paul prohibiting here in 1 Timothy 2? Well, it comes in verse 12. Unambiguously, he says, I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. He's talking about women teaching men or women having authority over men. And what this means, brothers and sisters, when we combine this passage with 1 Corinthians 14, this means at the very minimum, at the very minimum, 
We could take other places in the New Testament, and perhaps you could push further on this issue. But at the very minimum, it is unbiblical for a woman to be the pastor of a church, to preach, or to be an elder in a church. This means it is unbiblical for women to be the pastor of a church, to preach, or to be an elder in the church. Now, I say to be an elder, you can see the qualifications for elders there in 1 Timothy chapter 3, just below what we just read. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. You'll see in those qualifications for elders, it's clear they are to be male. They, they must be men. And Paul says they must be able to teach, all right? which has a lot of bearing on what we're talking about today. And so at the very minimum, the Bible is saying it is unbiblical for a woman to be the pastor of a church, to preach, or to be an elder. Now you might ask, why? Why? Why has God set it up this way? Why would God put this stuff in the Bible? Why would God want this to be like this? Well, we have to say there could be all kinds of reasons for this. God alone, in His perfect wisdom, knows. One thing that we're not going to do is we're not going to speculate. Right? We're not going to go beyond what God has given us in the text. We're going to stick to the text. When we start speculating on things, we can go wrong in a hundred different directions. Right? We start veering into the, 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 the minefield of human opinion when we start speculating. We don't want to do that. We want to say, what has God told us? And so God alone in His perfect wisdom knows all the reasons why He has ordered things this way when it comes to gender and the church. But Paul tells us that this goes back all the way to the beginning of creation and the order of creation and to the first sin. Look after verse 12 in 1 Timothy 2 here. After verse 12, look at verse 13. When he says, I do not permit a woman to teach or have authority over a man, verse 13 he says, For or because Adam was formed first, and then Eve. See, he grounds it in the order of creation. It wasn't just a, a coincidence that God created a man first and then created a woman to be his helper, Genesis 2. God did this intentionally, and it has far-reaching implications. One of them is this right here, how we order ourselves in the church and in our marriages. Apparently, there was more to it than just, oh, Adam happened to be the one that God created first. No, God had intentions even that far back. But notice Paul also goes to verse 14 and grounds it not just in the order of creation, but also in the first sin. And Adam was deceived, he says, verse 14. Or Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. Now, I do not think that Paul is somehow suggesting that women are more gullible than men because of this, or there is some kind of deficiency in the, the way God created women. Now, women and men are both created in the image of God equally, right? But what Satan was doing in the garden there, Satan was intentionally upending God's created order in a lot of different ways. For instance, God created human beings to have dominion over animals. But here Satan is, as an animal, as a serpent, appearing to human beings and trying to have dominion over them. He's trying to flip it. He's trying to flip God's good order. Not only does he try to flip God's order with man and animals, he tries to flip God's order within the marriage relationship itself between husband and wife. And so instead of coming to Adam, who should have stood in front of Eve and says, no, you, you want to get to my wife, you go through me. I'm protecting her from you. Instead of going to Adam, he goes directly for Eve. He upends the order of God's creation. And so Paul says there are far-reaching implications for this. Now again... God alone in His perfect wisdom knows 
all the reasons why he has ordered things this way between men and women. But it is clear this was intentional from the beginning. Paul goes all the way back to creation to ground this command. And that means, brothers and sisters, that means that we cannot claim that this was just a rule for a particular time and culture in which Paul lived. Since he grounds it in creation, that means it's been this way from the beginning. And that means it applies to all people at all times, all Christians, all churches. Grounding it in creation shows us this is clearly a command that applies to all people at all times. Even back in 1 Corinthians 14, Paul actually began our text today saying, as in all the churches, as in all the churches, not just this Corinthian church, as in all the churches. In 1 Corinthians 11, verse 16, after speaking of headship and submission, Paul writes, If anyone is inclined to be contentious, we have no such practice, nor do the churches of God. And so Paul is saying, this is the way it is for everyone, brothers and sisters. It is not just a particular situation, a particular location, a particular culture, a particular time. Now turn back with me to 1 Corinthians 14. 1 Corinthians 14, we can leave 1 Timothy 2 for now. 1 Corinthians 14, look at verse 36. In verse 36, after giving those hard verses in verses 34 and 35, Paul says, Or was it from you that the word of God came? Or are you the only ones it has reached? Now Paul's being kind of sarcastic here in this verse. It is as if he he realizes this is a hard word given to the Corinthian believers. And he says to them, Are you going to be the exception to the rule? Are you going to consider yourselves the exception, even though this is the way we do it in every church, even though this is God's command for all people for all times? Do you think you're the exception to the rule? Are you the only ones that the Word of God has come to? Are you the only ones it has reached? Did it actually come from you? No, of course not, right? We are part of a heritage of millions and millions and millions of believers. And for us to think that God's just all of a sudden going to do things differently because I live now in this time, right? We we have a problem, especially people my age and younger. We have a problem thinking the world just revolves around us and that everything's going to change because we know better, because all of a sudden we've progressed beyond that, that old traditional values stuff. Brothers and sisters, Christianity is much older than we are. And God is the only one in the history of the universe who can pronounce a word and give it for all people at all times. Right? God is the only one who has the perspective and the position to do that. And He does. He does gloriously so. And so Paul actually comes after that in verse 37 and says, If anyone thinks that he is a prophet or spiritual, he should acknowledge that the things I am writing to you are a command of the Lord. If anyone does not recognize this, he is not recognized. You see, Paul knew as he was writing that he was writing authoritative scripture. He knew it as he was writing it. He knew it was God's commands through his pen, through his words. And so, brothers and sisters, we trust God's words on this. We trust it even more than we trust our own intuitions. We trust it even more than we trust our own feelings. We trust God's word more than we trust our own sensibilities. We trust God's word more than we trust what works. Right? We might be able to do something in this church that packs the place. We might be able to do different things in this church that would work better 
but we're not going to if it's a violation of God's word. There might be a number of women in this church who are smarter, more educated, and a more effective public speaker than any man. There might be women like that in this church. You're smarter than all the men in this church. You're more educated than all the men in this church. You're a more effective public speaker than all the men in this church. But we cannot, for that reason, have a woman preach. Why? Because we trust God's word and God's good order on this issue. We are trusting that God's ways are always better for us and will make us more happy than us insisting on our own way. Now, having said all of this, I've got to say this, and this is a hard word. Churches that ordain women or have women preach are in direct violation of God's word. That's the implication here. It's clear from Scripture. Churches that ordain women or have women preach are in direct violation of God's word on this issue. It takes some serious linguistic gymnastics to turn, I do not permit a woman to preach or have authority over a man, into, I do permit a woman to preach or have authority over a man. It takes some serious linguistic gymnastics to make that say that. The Bible is not unclear on this. And so we cannot and we will not support or partner with churches who boldly go against God's word on this issue. Because they are lifting the values of modern culture above the Bible and above the will of God himself. It is lifting the values of culture above the Bible and above the will of God himself. And when that happens, brothers and sisters, a church is no longer a church. A church stops being a church when the word of God does not hold sway there. When the word of God is not the ultimate authority. Now it's just a place for people to come and get a little dose of religion on the weekend so that they can go about their lives feeling a little less guilty. Or it's a place that they come to have community with other people that they really enjoy being around. But it is not a church because the Word of God does not rule. The Word of God does not hold sway there. Brothers and sisters, we must submit to the Word of God. All of us. This past week... I got on the official website of one of the largest denominations in America that will remain nameless. And in an article on their official website, there's an article titled, Why do you, why does this denomination, why do you ordain women when the Bible specifically prohibits it? It's the title of the article. So apparently they're, they're going to defend their practice of ordaining women into the ministry. In that article, the only explanation is this, and I quote, One reference from Paul may appear to rule out the ordination of women, but we also take into account other scriptural references, which are nowhere to be found in the article, as well as our tradition, experience, and reason. And that is it. That is the only explanation. It's a complete dodge of the text in an effort to appease modern sensibilities. Brothers and sisters, When our tradition contradicts the Word of God, the Word of God must win every time. When our experience seems to contradict the Word of God, the Word of God must win every time. And when our human reason seems to contradict the Word of God, the Word of God must win every time. I am much more concerned about offending God than offending our modern culture. And I hope you are too. Our culture is screaming at us 
old school, traditional, fundamentalist Christians. Our culture is screaming at us, get on the right side of history. Get on the bandwagon. Get on the train. Or get run over by it. Get on the right side of history. Brothers and sisters, much better to be on the right side of eternity. We would much rather offend God than offend people. Or we would much rather offend people than offend God. Say that wrong. And so all of us must submit to God's word. Submission is not just for women. All of us must submit to God's word. The question is, what do you do when Scripture rubs you the wrong way? What do you do when Scripture rubs you the wrong way? Because it's going to, right? Scripture, at some point, if you dig into it, if you get into it and open yourself up to it, at some point, it's going to rub you the wrong way. What do you do when that happens? You can either go with yourself or you can go with God. But do not expect God's Word to line up with all of your preferences or all of your feelings. He's God. We are, we are people who have lived a very small amount of time when you consider the scope of history. We live in one little place on the earth when you consider the size of this place and all the cultures in the world. Do not expect God's Word to line up with all of your preferences or all of your feelings. And especially do not expect God's Word to line up with all of the popular views of the day. What do you do when God's Word makes you bristle? What do you do when God's Word seems wrong to your sensibilities? We have a choice to make. It's easy to obey when God tells you what you already agree with. It's easy to obey when God says what you already agree with. What do you do when His Word rubs you the wrong way? This past week, Grant Castleberry said this, The world doesn't have a problem with a Jesus of their own making. But the Jesus who said that marriage is between a man and a woman, and that there are no other roads to heaven, and that it would be better to pluck out your eye than be thrown into hell, that Jesus is not welcomed. We've got a choice to make. Go with God's ways or our ways. Now, do not walk away from this, though, and conclude that the Bible has a low view of women. Because it certainly does not. The Bible over and over again lifts women up and has a high view of women. Right? For instance, women feature prominently in the life and ministry of Jesus. In the life and ministry of Jesus, women feature prominently in it. It starts out with Mary. right? Mary being chosen of God because of her humility, because of her holiness, because of her prayers. Because this is the one that God wants. And Mary ends up having much more prevalent of a position in the accounts of Jesus than even Joseph does. After Jesus was born, a few days later, they took him to the temple as they were supposed to according to the law. And there was Anna in the temple, a widow prophetess in the temple and saw Jesus' parents come in with him and began to tell everyone, began to prophesy that the Messiah was here, that this is who it is. He's here now. Jesus often used women as examples of great faith in his teaching. A number of times he shamed the all-male Pharisees by pointing to the examples of women whose hearts were open to him, as theirs should have been. Jesus specifically chose the Samaritan woman at the well to kickstart his ministry in Samaria. While he chose only men for his apostles, women followed him too. We hear a lot about Mary Magdalene in the Scriptures. In Luke 8, we read about two women, Joanna and Susanna, who followed Jesus and supported his ministry out of their means. When you, when you look at the crucifixion, more women than men stayed with Jesus until the end. 
more women than men in his followers are present at the crucifixion. And in the resurrection account, it is three women who first hear the news that Jesus has risen, and God chose it that way on purpose. Specifically in John 20, Mary Magdalene is given special prominence in that account. Now, aside from Jesus' life and ministry, furthermore, in Bible times, in a time where women were often treated as second-class citizens, Christianity was radical in the high place it gave to women. Absolutely radical. Think about this. In Ephesians 5, Paul tells husbands to sacrifice themselves for the wants and needs of their wives, just like Christ died for the church. That would have been unheard of in that day. That would have scandalized the men, right? In 1 Corinthians 7, 3-4, he actually says the wife has rights over her husband's body. Absolutely unheard of in that time. Radical place of giving, giving women prominence and giving women uh, a power and a sense, of, uh, a sense of dignity among the marriage relationship and among the genders. In Galatians, Paul says that women will receive the same glorious inheritance as men. He says this to a culture where women could not inherit anything from their families. Only sons could. Also in Galatians, he says, in Christ there is no male and female. The Bible portrays women as having equal value and equal dignity with men while having different roles. There's different roles, yes, but equal value, equal dignity. Do not walk away from this and conclude that because of Paul's words in 1 Corinthians 14 and 1 Timothy 2, that women can't do anything in the church. No, according to the Bible, women can do all kinds of things in the church. Women can teach other women Women can teach children. We see women teaching men in non-church settings in the Bible. In Acts 18, Priscilla takes Apollos aside, who is a male preacher, and she instructs him further, more accurately, in the ways of the Lord. Women can teach unbelievers as they evangelize. They can manage administrative tasks. They can spearhead or help organize fellowship and evangelistic events. They can serve on any of our ministry teams here at the church. There's all kinds of things that God gives for women to do in the church. But according to God's word, the role of preacher or pastor or elder, those are specifically reserved for men only. We've got to trust God's word on this, brothers and sisters. We trust his word. We trust his will, even if it doesn't line up with what we think it should be. We trust him. We trust him more than we trust ourselves. Ultimately, we all have to submit to God's Word. Every single one of us. All the men, all the women, we all have to submit to God's Word in everything that it says. And our ultimate example of submission is Christ. Jesus is our ultimate example of submission. Because although Jesus was equal with God, while He was on this earth, He submitted to the Father. Do you know that? He's equal with God, but while He was on this earth, He submitted to the Father. We read this in places like John 5, 19, where he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. In John 8, 28, Jesus said, When you have lifted up the Son of Man, man, then you will know that I am he, and that I do nothing on my own authority, but speak just as the Father taught me. That's Jesus saying that. Jesus, God in the flesh. Ultimately, we see Jesus' submission most clearly, most beautifully in His death. 
He submitted to the Father in his death. As he was going to his death in the Garden of Gethsemane, he prayed, Father, if this cup can pass from me, please let it happen. But then he prays, yet not what I will, but what you will. May your will be done, not mine. In Philippians 2, starting in verse 5, we read this. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, which just means he was equal with God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. Jesus humbled himself before the Lord. He did not insist on his place. In fact, he knew his place as equal with God and voluntarily gave it up. Did not even consider it a thing to be grasped. But rather he went low. He served. He humbled himself before the Lord. And in due time the Lord exalted him. Brothers and sisters, that is the same pattern He asks of us, all of us. In Matthew 23, 12, He says, Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, but whoever humbles himself will be exalted. Brothers and sisters, do not take the road of trying to exalt yourself. If we want to follow Jesus, we must humble ourselves. If we want to be like Jesus, we must go low. We must serve other people, every single one of us. We must let God do the exalting. We must let God choose who does what. We must let God decide the roles. And whatever He decides is fine because it's all for His glory. I don't need any glory for myself. We don't need any power for ourselves. We don't need any exaltation for ourselves. We humble ourselves under His mighty hand and let Him work everything out in the end. In due time, He will exalt us in the way that He sees fit if we humble ourselves under his hand. And so today, just as we do each week, we're going to ask each of us to spend some time in private prayer, silently, responding to the Lord, to whatever He's laid on your heart, responding to the way that God has pierced our hearts and transformed our minds with this word today. And so, in however, what, whichever way that you need to respond to the Lord, we ask that you do so right now as we all go to Him in prayer. After a moment of silent, private prayer, we'll come back and we'll have a time of public response for any who need to respond in that way. Let's pray.